Hello, hello, and welcome to the More Than a Plot Point podcast. I'm your host, USA Today bestselling author Jessica Cage, and we are here to discuss tales of fantasy that feature BIPOC characters at the forefront of the story. For years, we've seen so many narratives where BIPOC characters are represented as nothing more than a tool to further their white counterpart storyline. And well, (laughs) we're sick of it. So come along the journey with me as I talk about my stories, as well as stories written by other BIPOC authors, and hopefully you'll find a new character to love. Welcome again to another episode of the More Than a Plot Point podcast. I am Jessica Cage, and today our topic, BIPOC characters in fantasy. And we do have an amazing guest on this episode, Amanda Ross, which we'll get into that interview in a little bit. But I wanted to sit down with you guys and chit-chat about this topic a little bit. Now, last week, we all saw that Disney announced Ariel is going to be portrayed by a black woman. Um, Haley Bailey is going to be the amazing voice of this character and there has been talk both positive and uh, negative about this change for the character. Now I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole with this. Um, I think that it's a great opportunity for Haley. Her voice is amazing Um, but the backlash that we're seeing is something that we all knew was going to come because it happens every time. Um, but I wanted to talk about something different in, in lieu of this. Now, as great as it is to see black people portrayed in these stories and to see us pulled into, um, narratives that we've loved for all of our lives for some people, um, I would rather us see, uh, stories hit the main screen that are written for and by own voices. I want to see stories that are written by the demographic for the demographic and not just substituted in a storyline that already exists. I feel like for a lot of people, um, especially on the creator side, this just feels like another checkbox. Now, again, I don't want to take away from what an amazing moment this is. I've been watching all of the little brown girls and boys on TikTok and, you know, whatever other sites um, their reactions. And yes, I cried. I boo-hooed like every time for three days straight, I woke up and it was the first thing that I saw on my phone. And I was sitting there and I'm like, this is such an amazing moment. Like this is what we've been working for. Um, but I would also love for those little brown girls and boys to see stories that were meant for them. There are plenty of stories out there that were written by the authors for the audience or um, created specifically with these characters in mind and built around their identity that I think we would benefit from seeing um, in these spaces. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm definitely going. I'm going to support. I'm going to watch it. And when I watch it at home, I'm going to be wearing my knitted mermaid tail that my best friend's uh, mother made for me, okay? I love The Little Mermaid. I only grew up and wrote stories about mermaids myself because, yes, I love mermaids. But, again... I would love to see stories 
that were crafted for the audience by members of the audience because I feel like that impact is so much it's so it's it's such a greater impact that we could be having on the community and um we already know black people going to go spend money you know what i mean so as much as we know that they know that <laughs> they know we're going to show up they know that we're going to open our wallets we're going to support we're going to wear amazing outfits it's going to be a cultural experience for us we're going to show up and show out but I would love to see us doing that for our people. You know what I mean? I would love for us to do that and show that support and show up and show out for the creators who have already been working to craft stories around our culture and not just paste us into something that already existed and previously excluded us from the narrative. But you know what? All of this happening at this time is just is meant to be because this, of course, is the focus of this podcast. We want to highlight creators who are doing it and genuinely crafting stories and structures and narratives around characters within our communities and with their voice in mind from the very first page. But again, this is just another step in that direction. And I really hope that this opens the doors for more creators to be able to present those materials. Because what we do know is that now that this is happening, there are going to be readers, there are going to be movie buffs, there are going to be people who want the content that's out there that exists. There are so many authors who have already written BIPOC characters in mermaid stories and I am so happy to see that now those people will get an opportunity to showcase their work because we know that our people are looking for those stories now. So, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, whatever side of the corn you, you want to land on. Um, but amazing opportunity for this new Ariel for Haley Bailey. And I hope that um, she is protected from the horrible things that we're seeing online and that she knows that her people, you know, we are out here. We're, we're going to support her. We're rooting for everybody black. Okay. Um, <laughs> and with that being said, let me transition, um, into this amazing interview we have lined up. I spoke with Amanda Ross, the author of house of the transcendence. And we talked about the importance of the representation of BIPOC characters in fantasy, um, some of the harmful stereotypes, and how even we as the creators can learn and grow and better represent these characters. Because even though we are BIPOC, we have not lived every experience of the BIPOC um, diaspora. We, we, the Black diaspora, it, it's so many of us, right? There's so many different experiences, um, so many different voices that can be heard we talk about bringing those stories from ourselves, but also being open to learning about the experiences that we may not have had. So with that being said, let's get into our interview. Okay, thank you guys for joining me today. I am here with Amanda Ross, an independent author of fantasy. And we are here to talk specifically about BIPOC characters in fantasy. Um, which is so very important. And it's, it's really mm -hmm. the reason that I started this show, right? Like I wanted to talk about us in fantasy, 
created, you know, stories that are created by us, right? Because we're we're seeing more re representation happen. But I want us to be the ones to tell these stories. Um, and I have Amanda here because she's been doing it since 2020. So she is um, building up her, her punch and glove or bag activity. Um, and I see you on social media and I see you having these conversations. So I really wanted to reach out to people who are like actively talking about this now and doing something about it. So Amanda, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I just to to gush a little bit. I've been following you for a while, even before I got published, and you were really an inspiration to me. And so, I this feels very much like a full circle moment. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> like silent applause. <laughs> well, look, I, and I mean, I've I've not I I'm new to you, but I'm not new to you. If that makes sense, like I, you know, yeah. we've kind of been uh, connected for a little bit now on the old school uh, social media platform, Facebook. <laughs> yes. On <laughs> but the, now it's like Facebooks. all the movement is TikTok <laughs> now, right? Um, okay, so let's get into the conversation. Um, I know that you, you know, write representation in your stories. Um, tell us why that's important to you. Well, it's important to me because as a black woman as a bisexual woman I am wanting that representation and it's also wishing that I could kind of retroactively actively give that representation to the people in my family my mom is who got me into fantasy she's who got me into horror she's the one who exposed me to Anne Rice I remember reading interview with a vampire with her we listened to queen of the damned on um cassette tape so that's my age right like she would drive me to school we'd listen to that on cassette tape I love it, it was <laughs> such a great experience but I just I knew that she wanted she was kind of searching for herself in that and I think that that's kind of what we all end up doing uh just searching for yourself in these characters and you root for them but there's kind of that limit where it's like oh I'm rooting for you but this isn't me and so I wanted to be you know part of the conversation another person who could bring voices to people who aren't used to seeing themselves. And hopefully I'm actively doing that, but I will continue to do that in the future. And it's really important to me. That's because awesome. of that. Yeah. I connect with the the bond with you and your mother. I, that's my introduction to fantasy, not so much to books. My mother was more of a TV, you know, movie, you know, buff, but the books came from my grandmother. And like you said, it's, it's that it's kind of a full circle moment, right? We're doing it because they introduced it to us, it was important to them, and now they can see themselves in it. Um, mm -hmm. So the the challenges, though, of presenting BIPOC um, characters in fantasy is also fighting the mm -hmm. way we are typically represented in these stories, right? There's a lot of typecasting yep. <laughs> that happens. Mm -hmm. How do you get around that? So that's a great question. And I, I think... One of the things that I can reference is, so my first book series, Which Kind, so it's two books, Two A Stare With Love and Two Lars and Desperation. The third book is uh, actively being written right now, but uh, it has, my main character is Mercury and he's a male witch. And so I think that that was one of the things that was also very important to me, not just to provide that Black representation, but to also provide representation for Black men 
who enjoy fantasy and want to see themselves casting spells and using telekinesis and all of these different things. And I think, you know, part of the stigma was, okay, well, men can't do this or, you know, um, why, why would you want to show a man being a fantastical character like this, a black man? And then the other side of it was, wow, I've not really ever seen this before. And, and both responses are kind of equally disheartening because on one hand, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm giving the people what they want. But it's also how long have they been yearning for this? And then the other hand is, well, yes, they absolutely can. And I don't know why you're saying that we can't, but I'm going to prove you wrong. So it it's just been trying to push through those voices on both sides that, like I said, are, are disheartening. The people who are like, we've been waiting for this. And then the people who are saying you can't do it and you just have to prove them wrong. Yes, you absolutely do. And it's it's also because we we have had some representation, um, but mm-hmm. it's not always the greatest. We we get put into right. that, you know, um, the Mamie architect, which we, you know, we try to get away from that. But then you also mm-hmm. have where if we're there, we're an animal. We get we get shifted into, you know, a lizard or something for the duration of the story, or the character exists solely to push the the white counterpart storyline further right Mm -hmm. so it's like we've seen we've seen ourselves in some in some capacity but not at the forefront not taking the story not the person who's actually championing this storyline right Mm -hmm. um and I think that's so important and I think it's so awesome that you said specifically male witches because when I do think of like um BIPOC witches they're typically women um Mm -hmm. in the storylines um so what what specifically about um writing the male witch like how did you do that differently than you know the typical black woman you know voodoo priestess um I really (laughs) I mean, I made him anxious if I mean real. <laughs> no, um, I tried I tried to make him just as as I think any college student would be, but I made it somebody who has grown up knowing that they've had power their entire life and has who has grown up in this magical community surrounded by other magical people with higher ranking families in the magical community or ranking family members, I should say. So I never wrote him as somebody who had to be ashamed or afraid or unsure of his magic. And I really, you know, the book came out, the first book came out in 2020. And so it was really, I mean, the summer 2020, I will just say, which we all know what was going on at that time. So it felt like it was really important to also have this book be one of those books that came out at that time because they were so much yearning for representation and I was happy that I made Mercury think relatable he's somebody who has anxiety he's somebody who really enjoys music he enjoys things other than being magical and I think that that's another thing to your point about us always kind of being in the in the back seat it's always also that we we're magical and then that's it right like I was listening to a video about the Vampire Diaries the other day and it was talking about Bonnie and just her characterization and how what we know about her and what we know about the other characters and I wanted to make sure that when we're talking about BIPOC characters you know so much more than just surface level than just that they're magic yeah and um 
it, it just was really important to me to have him be relatable. He's concerned about his hair and girls, yeah. you know. <laughs> There's layers there, right? It, it becomes, mm-hmm. it's a real person that you can relate to. And I think that that's the issue too, is that when we have seen ourselves in this story, we don't really get that connection to the character because a lot of times it's written by someone who has not had the lived experience to mm-hmm. provide the connection, right? So if you don't know, if you're if you're not, you know, a BIPOC person, you don't know what goes on with our hair, really, except if you're like <laughs> reading articles online or something. But you don't know mm-hmm. the connection and the care level because I think that I've seen so many reviewers talk about books and if it mentions anything about their hair, they are, yes, thank you. Because there, we see those stories where they're like running through rain and falling through mud and going to sleep. Where the bonnet at? You know. <laughs> like, yeah. Listen. Yes. And I, I look for that too. When, I, like, I was watching the the Charmed reboot and there was no bonnet, and I went, "Now, now, sis, you have your hair up." But I was like, "Where, sis?" And then I thought, "Well, maybe it's a silk pillowcase." But I was like, "I shouldn't have to think this hard. I should just know, like yeah. that." But we're so used to doing that, that the mental, you know, fix as far as we're always editing these stories. Like, you know, we're going to make it relatable. We're going to make it sound right. So you automatically was like, that's a simple pillow. <laughs> it has to be because there's no way she'd be laying her head on that pillow right now in real yes. life. You know? um, but it's those little details that readers grab onto. And I feel like um, we get so in, so wrapped up into this huge, you know, character development and making them so, but it's the tiniest things that readers will come to you like, you made this character, you know, sit a certain way or, you know, they weren't mm-hmm. sure of themselves all that. It's those little things that, that really matter to the reader. Um, and I think that's where we have the issue of non-BIPOC authors writing the stories mm-hmm. because they don't know the nuance that readers will come to expect from a character that's supposed to be representing them. So one of the topics that I wanted to kind of touch on is the proper representation in Mm fantasy. How do you feel um, BIPOC characters will be properly represented in fantasy? What steps do you think we need to take um, to get there? Oh, um, I think one of the the main things that I've been seeing a lot recently is if you're going to have a black character, they don't always have to be where they're biracial. You don't always have to have your black character be biracial or light skinned or looser hair. We have we have that representation out there and not to say that that's that's not representation but we need more give me more and perhaps for some authors maybe that's their comfortable space but I think it's you know when you when you move into your uncomfortable space that's when you can shine if you have the right tools to be able to do that and so I would say that that would be one thing I think another thing would be anybody doing the research you know I'm somebody who I was born and raised in California, lived in Atlanta for quite a while. Now I'm back in California. And so this, my, my book in the house of transcendence, it is set in Atlanta or Savannah, Atlanta, Georgia set in there. Um, But even then, even having lived there, I still had to do that research. So I think it's also just 
being okay with doing research. And I feel like if your Google history isn't just random, <laughs> you're not writing a book right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, when it's like time to start preparing for a new book, the Google history, um, it's concerning. Like it's the rabbit <laughs> yeah. holes that you go down. Like, I don't know how I got here, but I learned some stuff. Um, and I think that's another problem when, when we're talking about fantasy specifically. There are a lot of people who think that there isn't that much research that mm -hmm. goes into it. You know, there's this, you, you just make it up. You just make it all up. Like, no, we don't just make, it has to make sense. And like you said, mm -hmm. if it's set in a real place, I need to know the history behind that place. I need to understand the people who live there. You know, um, I can't write a, a generic character whose mannerisms are the same no matter what city they're in. That's when you lose the the um, relatability. But I like what yeah. you said about they don't all, you know, representation doesn't always have to be biracial. And I, I, I feel like that's such a safety net for some authors because mm -hmm. they want to test the waters. <laughs> They're like, you know, technically I can say that this is a, a you know, BIPOC representation, but then I don't have to go so deep into learning and educating myself about what makes them BIPOC, right? Because they are mixed. So I can I can go over here and say this is a biracial person. They grew up with their white family, so there we don't have to worry about building that many connections with the other side. You know what I mean? And it's safe. Right. Yeah, but but a lot of times when they do that, they don't. First of all, they don't realize that that's not the reality for every biracial person. That's also they ignore the reality that a lot of biracial people go through a lot of kind of an identity crisis for lack of a better term, because they are in that mode of where do I fit in? And I think that while, while one of the other things when we were talking about proper representation, I, I enjoy seeing is having black characters that are able to be black and not have to be confronted with the trauma of racism and homophobia and all of those isms and phobias. I do think that if you consistently make uh, books with you know, biracial characters or characters who are even even bisexual in that way, right? Where there's this kind of confrontation of am I enough? If you're not addressing that and then you're just saying, okay, they're only around their white family or they're only dating men, it's very, it feels like you're just trying to dabble and be safe. And I think that we need to be pushing ourselves as creators and as artists, pushing ourselves past those limits of comfortability. Yeah. And it does a disservice to the character, too, mm -hmm. because you have I feel like we are as much responsible to our audience that we are to our characters. OK. Um, and it's like, don't just create this person and put them on a page and, and check a box off. OK, because right. there's going to be a reader who's going to connect to that character and they're going to want to know more. And you don't want them to get to the end of the book and feel jipped because, like you said, this person clearly had a, a conflict that they needed to resolve or that mm -hmm. I'm relating to them. And this is, I'm seeing myself in this, but I don't see this character actually being um, driven to solve or to even face the issues that are, you know, presented to people like me. So like yeah. you said, it does feel, it's, it's lazy. You know, it, it's a lazy form of, like I said, it's just checking off a box. Readers want BIPOC check you know what I mean yeah that's it's done it's in there and now I can put it on my marketing <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm referencing yeah. you
Yeah. <laughs> How do we address that stereotype that if it's biracial, because I feel like that's harmful to the people who are reading the books, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I think one of the big questions in publishing right now is how do we address harming BIPOC people? But we're, we are capable ourselves of writing these stereotypes into our work. How mm -hmm. do we internally address the way that we are representing? Because I, I think that that's something for a while, even I was not even, I wasn't thinking about that. You know, I would write the character and, and keep going. But once you start listening to your audience and talking to your readers, you're like, oh, that's messed mm -hmm. up. <laughs> Right. So how, how do you work to address things like that within your own writing? So I am very thankful to have a, a wonderful writing community. I think that, you know, when when I get asked or when I have the opportunity to talk and by opportunity to talk, I mean, just get on TikTok and run my mouth. <laughs> um, I generally say one of the most important things is having an author community. I think one of the first things any author should do when they're thinking about serious publication, whether that's traditional or not, is to find a community. Um, and so I am very thankful that I have a community of authors who will read my work and we can be very honest with each other about this is great or this ain't it. Um, you know, an example with In the House of Transcendence is that my main character, Zora, she is tall and she's plus sized. Neither, and I'm, I'm 4'11" and I'm not plus sized. And so while I, this is my character and that's how I saw her. And I really wanted to convey her beauty and her as she is, I did have to, you know, as I was having beta readers take a look at it, kind of confront, am I being harmful here when I'm referring to her height or her weight or anything like that? Um, and so I think it's just being being comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations with your writing community and having people who will be honest from a place of love and not being brutal and then also being real with yourself of okay I've been told that this is harmful I need to now do the work to change it and then keep that in here so it doesn't happen again so it's about you know people holding you accountable and then holding yourself accountable yeah, that accountability is so important because mm -hmm. like you said, you may not know because again, you're, you know, not your character. So it is important to have people read your work and to not take offense when people mm -hmm. say this should probably change. <laughs> that part, right. You know? <laughs> it's right. like, it's your baby. We know it's close to your heart, but you ask for this opinion. <laughs> mm -hmm. Be open to it. Because I think a lot of times we want to hand someone our stuff. And they just they just send us all the praise. And it's like, girl, this is amazing. Don't ever don't change a thing. But oftentimes, like you said, if you have an honest community, they're going to tell you, like, you need to tweak a couple things. And that's, that's right. perfectly fine. So we've, we've kind of uh, crossed over into talking about your book. Um, so in the house of transcendence, your main character is a necromancer. Yes. Okay. So I am so obviously I know what a necromancer, but I'm new to materials that have, you know, necromancy in it. Like, <laughs> so why did you go that route with the character? So I wanted her to have a power that was traditionally what some people would feel as as quote unquote evil. I wanted her to have a power that also felt very big for her because, you know, in in this case, 
her necromancy is not just being able to raise the dead. Uh, she can, you know, raise corpses, raise bones, but she can also see ghosts and communicate with them. And so it's the dead in all of their forms, basically. And I wanted to have her journey be part of part of her journey, be accepting her powers, accepting that she's capable of handling this, that she's not afraid of it. And also by extension, not afraid of death. Right. Because that's also a huge fear for I mean, how many people? Are like afraid everybody's afraid of death who am I kidding right <laughs> and so I wanted that to be her journey and like I said I wanted it to be a power that people you know traditionally think is quote-unquote I'm gonna say dark magic because I'm not gonna say black magic because we know um <laughs> and and have that be something she also kind of combats as well yeah and I love putting another um, spin on it because as far as I do, that that's what necromancy was. It was a form of dark magic because mm-hmm. I think when, when we talk about dealing with the dead in general, it's labeled mm-hmm. as like, that's the dark stuff. You know? <laughs> Stay yeah. away from there. You're going to cause some things to break. Uh, but I thought that was so cool that you, I mean, you're bringing us something new, but the story is still relatable because she has this, huge power um and and she has to learn i'm assuming that she's learning about herself about her power about her impact on the world around her which is to me such a relatable message Mm -hmm. and i just i read through um the synopsis and i'm like okay let me get my (laughs) (laughs) because i'm so intrigued by not only the the necromancy, but just like the way that you have built the world um, and the magical houses. And I, I see you have like the power of three going on mm-hmm. with the three. And I was like, okay, there are levels to this. She's bringing us <laughs> levels, okay? Yes. <laughs> and yes. I love a story <laughs> that has levels. Um, so I'm so excited to read uh, more of your work. Um, I did read To the Stereo with Love and I was like, this is so amazing. But I was so excited, like, has to be on my show because she's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I want to talk about one more thing before we go. Um, yeah. Because Amanda is not just out here talking the stuff. You're part of the Diverse Books with Magic group, right? Mm-hmm. On 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 the Facebooks, the old school websites. Um, yeah. Do you, we can talk about that if you want to. If not, we can cut this part out of the recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to show some highlight on, on what you guys are doing in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, really giving a space, not only for the authors, but for readers. And I go there and I see the communication happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's real honest, general conversations in that group. Um can you just tell us a little bit more about the group? I would love to direct people to join you guys because I feel like you guys have such a positive thing happening there. Yeah, so Diverse Books with Magic, it's a Facebook group <clears throat> started by myself and four other indie authors. And we really wanted to have a space where both authors and readers can communicate about our desire to see more representation. So we don't just have readers who are looking for BIPOC representation. We have readers and authors who are looking for LGBTQIA plus um, people who are looking for disabled rep and uh, all of that. 
And we all collaborate and come together. We share funny memes. We talk about upcoming books. We celebrate each other when somebody has a new release. And sometimes we do have those tough, tough conversations. There have been a couple of times where, you know, it's been tough, but everybody's been respectful. And I think what the beauty of this community is that we've come out the other side with people involved in those conversations and learning something. And that's also what we wanted to create was a community for people to learn more about something that, you know, they, they aren't that different type of representation. And I think that, that we've done that. That is amazing. And again, we're touching on that word community, like we need to build the community Mm -hmm. where we can have that safe space to have these conversations because they're coming. This is, this is not Mm -hmm. a topic that's going to disappear. We're sending more and more and not just, and what's amazing is it's not just us, the authors, the creators Mm -hmm. who are discussing it. The readers are like powering forward and and, and heading to the, the forefront of this conversation which is so encouraging as someone who is like, you know, typing away in your little writing cat. You're like, okay, because <laughs> it's like, right. they actually want, you know, and, and for me, I've been publishing for 12 years and there was always mm-hmm. that little bug in the back of my mind, like, girl, don't nobody want this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> you know, that uh, self-doubt is there. So right now for an author, especially a BIPOC author to see readers championing for your stories, that is so amazing. I'm so I'm so excited that you guys created this this group together, um, mm-hmm. and that you're you know advocating not only for your own work but for the work of others. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much, Amanda, for being here. I'm thank so you excited. Of course, um, and of course, everyone, I'll be putting Amanda's contact information in the description of this podcast post so you can make mm-hmm. sure that you get in contact with her, join the Facebook uh, group for Diverse Books with Magic, and make sure you check out In the House of Transcendence and all of her other works because she is an amazing writer. I am vouching. I am giving my stamp of approval I don't know how much that means to y'all, but y'all listening, so it better mean something. Um, again, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Is there something that you want to say to the listeners before we sign off, Amanda? Um, I think I just want to, you know, to touch on community. There's a line in my book that says, no one survives in this world without community. And I think that that is probably one of my favorite lines I wrote for the book. And because it rings so true on so many different levels. So find your community, embrace your community, embrace reading diversely, reading works by BIPOC people, both straight and queer. And that's what I've got. (laughs) That is perfect. We end on an amazing note of community. Build your community, listen to your community. Um, And thank you guys so much for joining us today. All right. And that was the amazing Amanda Ross. I was so excited that she agreed to come on the show because I have been following her for some time and I see all that she's doing within the community online and with her readers to uh, foster this conversation around uh, BIPOC characters in fantasy. 
Um, again, it's a, and to quote her from her, her book, no one survives in this world without community. So guys, make sure that you are building a community that is supportive, that is honest, that you can trust, um, because we all need it. And thank you again for joining me on this episode. Next week, I will have Michael LeBourne, author and publisher on the show to talk about BIPOC publishing and how you can diversify your bookshelf. So again, thank you for being here. And remember, your story is so much more than a plot point.